The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. It's good to have you here. It's good to uh, know that you guys are joining online. And I have no idea what a waterproof sock is, but I'd like to get a pair. <laughs> I've never heard of waterproof socks, but sounds like something that ought to be in my uh, hunting gear, right? <laughs> Uh, so anyway, that's, that's cool that we have that opportunity. I encourage you to be a part of that. Um, again, welcome to you. If it's your first time here, we're glad you're here. Um, you know, I don't know if you ever feel like this, that, that, that it doesn't matter how hard you're, you try at something, it seems like nothing. Like you work and you put effort in it and you get to, the, you're like, look at it and you're like, geez, man, this... This is just, this is nothing as uh, to what I expected it was going to be. I mean, you might even spiritually, you start to read the word and you ask yourself as you read through Acts chapters uh, 2 and 3, and, and like Peter preaching a sermon, and that day 3,000 people got saved. And you're like, and why didn't that happen for us, man? And you start to wonder. You start to wonder if you're doing anything wrong or you look at another person and it seems like everything that they touch turns to spiritual gold and you're slaving away and can barely find any dust. And you wonder, man, you wonder sometimes, why does it feel like nothing is happening? Man, the, the Lord has a word for you today, okay, for all of us. I think it's an encouraging word out of Haggai chapter 2. And we're just going to kind of go through chapter 2. We talked about last week how the people were a remnant who had been set free from captivity. The king uh, in Babylon said, okay, I'm, I'm going to let those of you who desire go back to your homeland and rebuild the temple. And so a lot of the Jews took him up on that, and there were about 47,000 of them that traveled back to Jerusalem, a place of ruins, and they were going to rebuild the temple of God. And so they started with the foundation, and then they stopped the work, and they got busy on their own work. They got busy on their own homes. They got busy uh, taking care of their own families. And they just quit working. They had some other people, some external forces that were discouraging them, um, had some false accusations made against them. And so they just quit working. And so the Lord came and he told them, he gave a, a word through the prophet Haggai. And he said, listen, I'm against you. I'm just going to be against you. And I'm going to put it out clear. You're not, you're not doing um, and living up to what I set you free to do. <laughs> and so he says, man, I'm, I'm withholding blessing from you. The, the crops are not going to produce. You're, you're going to continually make money and, and feel like you got more going out than you have coming in. Your purse is going to feel like it has holes in it. Um, you're going to go to uh, the pantry, and it's, it's just not going to have enough food in it. And you're going to ask yourself, why is this? Like, I'm working hard. Why is this the case? And the Lord, through Haggai, said the, the reason for that is because you're not taking care of my house. You're only focused on your house. And so... When we think of that uh, in terms of, of uh, what the Lord has called us to do, man, he set us out of captivity. There's a lot of uh, parallels. He sets us, out of the cap sets us free from the captivity of sin, and we're to go to work on, on his house. And, and it's very easy to get distracted, and so the Lord sometimes will bring a word. And so these people heard the word, they responded to it, and they immediately repented, and they walked in obedience. It took them 24 days. Took him 24 days from the time they heard the word of the Lord from the prophet Haggai 
to restart the building of the temple. And the Lord started stirring up the hearts of the people around. He started stirring up uh, the hearts of, of, of individuals that were skilled at certain things. And people started to bring offerings, free will offerings. Nobody was asking. And it was, it was a pretty encouraging time. And so I kind of relate that a little bit. It's kind of fascinating. It's been a year since uh, we started raising money for what we want to do with the exterior of the building. And, and, you know, for me, this journey started when I still lived in Oklahoma. I knew it was something that needed to be addressed as I came and, and, and took on this ministry responsibility. And, and so I wondered, you know, how long, Lord, how long before you start to move in that? And it was, it was pretty amazing to watch how the Lord just put on the heart of some people that triggered that, that we were to move forward last year. And so we started raising money, and, and, you, and you know the story, as most of you do, some of you don't, there's like $330,000 that was pledged toward it, and, and so we're moving, and, and, and now it sort of feels like we're right back in that a real hard place again because I can't get the right information out of the contractor that I'm trying to get the numbers solidified so that we can go to the bank and say, all right, this is what we need to do this thing. And again, before we go to the bank to come to you and, and, and make sure, like, what, what do you want to do? And so sometimes it can feel like nothing's happening, and then all of a sudden the Lord moves and, and something starts to happen. Well, it's in that time during that period of feeling like nothing that's happening that we need to be encouraged. And so the Lord, he has a word for us. You may be there today. You may be walking that out in your spiritual journey. You feel like, man, I, I, I just am not getting movement around this one thing, my work. Maybe it's, it's a, a different job. Um, uh, maybe it's uh, something that you want to see happen in, in a ministry area of your life, and, and you're just like, man, it's, it's just not moving. And so you, you've gotten to a place where you're discouraged. And, and so let's jump into Haggai chapter 2, and I'll just kind of break it down, read a few verses, give you a takeaway, and let's let the Lord and let the Word encourage us uh, today. Here's what he says. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the Word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He says, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, um, through the prophet, or son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, uh, the high priest, and to the remnant of people. And says, ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? <laughs> this is pretty interesting. Because we know that Solomon's temple was one of the like uh, wonders of the world, man. Uh, he had this famous father, King David, who wanted to build the temple that wasn't allowed to build the temple. And so since he wasn't allowed to build the temple, God allowed him to amass all of the things, the material. Um, he was able to gather all of the wood, all of the cedar, all of the gold, all of the silver. Um, he was able to like basically put all of this, this material together for the project, and it was just there. And when Solomon, he told him, he said, but I'm going to let your son build it. And that's why David was so motivated, because he had a vision of what his son could build, and so he wanted to supply his son with all of the stuff necessary in order to construct the temple. And so Solomon built this temple, man, and it was an amazing temple. And it, it had all of this intricate detail and carvings and things going on in it. And they were just overwhelmed by the sight of it. And, and the Jewish people were incredibly proud of it. And the day that Solomon prayed his prayer of committal to, of, of the temple, 
uh, before the Lord, man, it, it says the Shekinah glory of the Lord fell down upon that place and they, they just praised the Lord and they were just in awe. And so now that thing's been destroyed. It's gone. It's nothing. And this group of people that has nothing is sent back to a place of nothing to build something out of nothing. And so they go to work on it and they put together their meager resources and they start working, man. And as they're working and they're looking at it, they're getting discouraged as it's beginning to come up out of the ground. And they know, even if we get this thing done, it's not going to be anything like what Solomon did. It's going to be nothing like what that was. And so the Lord asked him a question. He says, who of you was alive and remembers that temple? And there were some of them that were alive, and they were probably thinking about that very heavily, about how they were feeling like they fell so far short of what um, the Lord deserved. And, and so he says, doesn't it feel like nothing to you? And they're all like, yeah. And so here's your first takeaway. When you feel like nothing is happening, the Lord would say to you, I know how you feel. Like, he, he just speaks to the people and says, I know how you guys are feeling. I know how that you feel like nothing is happening. And, and that's incredibly encouraging to me because the remnant went to work and they got discouraged and, and, and it felt like nothing. And sometimes you feel that way. Sometimes you're just going to feel like nothing is happening in your life. And so you may be there today. You just kind of came through the doors and you're a little bit down and you just want to see a little bit more movement than what you've been seeing. And, and what the Lord wants you to hear today from the word is he knows how you feel. He knows how you feel. Like you feel like maybe you've been praying for a season, a long time that, that your spouse would come to know the Lord. They don't believe in the Lord and you've just been soaking the Lord and nothing's happening. And the Lord says, man, I know how you feel. Maybe your marriage is broken and you've been praying and laying it before the Lord and going, Lord, we just need to get some movement in this. And you're, you're trying to be faithful. You're trying to honor the Lord in, in your commitment in marriage and walk it out. And, and, and you're just praying and praying. And the Lord says, I know how you feel. Maybe you're in a job where you feel like you're just stuck. You hate your job, but you got to stay there because your kids and your, your wife have to eat or your husband, and, and you're just stuck there, and you're just working away, and, and you hate the job. You get down when you go. You get down when you leave, and you just feel like giving up, and the Lord says, I know how you feel. Maybe your neighbor, you've been wanting to see them come to know the Lord and you've been praying for them and doing everything you can. You can't even get them to go out to eat with you and you just want to see them come and experience what you're experiencing in spiritual family at OPCC and, and you can't get any movement and the Lord says, I know how you feel. That's encouraging to me. When I look at all that we're trying to do with the building and I can't get the movement that, that it feels like we ought to be getting, we can't get the tra traction and, and the Lord says, hey, Jimmy, I know how you feel. And I have to just take a breath and go, man, the Lord does know how I feel. And if you're not careful and you don't come to that realization, what you'll do is the devil will beat you over the head with it and you'll get mad at God. If you don't understand that God knows how you feel, then the devil will trick you into believing that God is playing a cruel joke on you. And he will push you away from the Lord and it will draw a, a drive a wedge in between you and your relationship with the Lord. So if you're in that place where you're waiting and you're watching and it feels like nothing, be encouraged because the Lord says, I know how you feel. Now, what do you do in those moments? Well, let's read on. He says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work 
For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And so what is the second takeaway? He says, man, be strong. I'm with you. Now, it's interesting. There are only a couple of times, um, but uh, other than this one, that the Lord repeats that threefold. Um, be strong, be strong, be strong. He does it with Moses when Moses is um, leading the, the children of Israel uh, prior to them going into the promised land. He does it with Joshua when they actually get to enter the promised land. And, and, and so he's, there's this three-fold uh, repetition, be strong, be strong, be strong. And it always has to do with faith. And he says, I'm with you, man. I've made a promise with you. And what the Lord is communicating to us in these moments where we feel like nothing is happening is that my presence with you is based on my promise to you, not based on what you see. My presence, is based, uh, my presence with you is based on my promise to you. So it's so encouraging because it teaches us to be faithful in spite of our feelings. Sometimes we won't feel like being faithful, and it is in those moments that we have to step into them uh, experiences and continue to be faithful and be strong in that because the Lord is with us, and the covenant we walk in is a promise from heaven. Like, like man, the, the Lord, when you become a child of Christ, a child of the King, and, and he adopts you into his kingdom, as Romans says. He adopts us through grace, and we receive um, sonship, and we call upon him, Abba, Father. Then when, when that happens, man, the Lord makes a promise. And we're going to see that that promise here, in the, we see it in the Old Testament, but it's the same thing for us in the New Testament. It's just a different way that we walk it out. And the promise is, is that he is with us. And so we have to be strong and keep walking in faith because he will not deny himself. And so whenever you make a decision and you say, man, I'm giving my life to the Lord. Now, this is a big deal to make this decision. We're not saying that you just say, hey, I believe in the Lord. We're, we're saying that you have a complete and full surrender of your life. Now, I gave my life to the Lord when I was nine years old. And, and I, I had faith in Jesus. I recognized that I was a sinner, okay? And, and I believed and I prayed and I was born again in that moment. But over the course of uh, the next several years of my life, um, even as I was growing from that point, there, there was a bit of a struggle that I went through as I started to learn independence and go through my um, adolescence. And, and it wasn't until I was 22 that I surrendered to the promise that he made to me. So I, I, I accepted him as my Savior and even as Lord and recognized that he was Lord of my life. But to really come to a place of full surrender in my life didn't happen until I was 22. And then that's when I laid down my life and I started to understand that the promise entails so much more than my future destination in heaven. It entails like all of my life as I'm walking with the Lord, there is a promise that he has made to me that he will take care of me, that he will uh, provide for me in so many different ways. And so when we talk about um, be strong and, and, and what we mean by that is to keep walking in faith because he will not deny himself. So, young people, for you, it means that you be strong and keep yourself pure. It means that you be strong, and, and though 
um, you have temptations, and though you might want to date somebody, uh, if they don't believe like you and they don't have a strong faith like you, be strong and say no to that relationship. Like it means that we be strong and we go in, in a, in, at work and, and we're tempted to compromise because we know if we could just fudge this number a little bit, we could get further ahead and it would look good on that report and we could probably get that promotion. We go, no, wait, wait, I'm a child of the Lord. I've surrendered to the promises of God. And if I want the promises of God to fall in my life, then I want to be strong in that moment. And I want to deny myself and believe that God will take care of me in spite of me having to take shortcuts to take care of myself because he will not deny himself. And so when it feels like nothing is happening, this is so important. When it feels like nothing is happening, we must stay strong. Because if we get weak, we will never see the full blessing of God that's around the corner. Okay, so let's just keep going. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I, once more, uh, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Okay? So here's the next takeaway. The glory of this house will be greater and I will grant peace to you. Now, physically, the temple they were constructing, they built, was inferior to Solomon's temple. They were not going to be able to construct something physically that was going to be more majestic than the temple that, that Solomon made. But God says to them that the glory that would fall on this temple would be greater than the glory that fell on Solomon's temple. And so as I described, when Solomon committed uh, the temple that they had built uh, as a nation early on in their um, history, that the Shekinah glory of God fell. And so the Shekinah glory of God was like a fire that fell down and the people could see it. And they knew the glory of the Lord fell and was present upon that place. And he was honored by it and he was pleased with it. And so it was um, a reflection of him communicating to them that he was with them. Okay, so that was Solomon's temple. So the Shekinah glory of God fell on Solomon's temple. And so this second wave of the remnant builds Zerubbabel's temple. And it is nothing compared to Solomon's temple. So what's going to happen to Solomon's temple when Solomon's temple is all, all of this glorious stuff to look at and the Shekinah glory of God falls upon it? Well, Jesus Christ walked into Zerubbabel's temple, literally. Like God himself, the Shekinah glory of God didn't fall. The glory of God was upon Jesus. He walked into that temple. He's the, that's the temple that he walked into and started turning over things and said, you've made this place a, a, a den of a thieves and it's supposed to be a, a place of prayer. And that was God in the flesh literally walking into that temple. And so the glory was much greater. And when Jesus walked into that temple, then what happened is the peace of God fell down from heaven because now God made a way through him becoming a man and walking into that temple and then he he tells the guys even when they're looking at it one day well you know what what of this temple and he says I tell you destroy this temple and in three days I'll, I'll build it back and what he's saying is like, like you're looking at the temple and 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 so when he begins to talk about this he's like man 
I'm going to go to the grave. I'm going to go to a sacrificial death. I'm going to come back from the grave. And when I come back from the grave, I'm going to make a way for there to be peace with men. And so this is a prophetic utterance from the book of Haggai to these people, man. It's like, you got to keep on keeping on and be strong because what I'm telling you, what you're building, the the glory that's going to fall on it is greater than what fell on Solomon's temple. And so the glory of what we are working on as people, what we have to understand is we look at that and go, man, that's encouraging. That's cool. Jesus walked into that. Here's what I want you to hear. Church, the temple that you are working on is more glorious than Zerubbabel's temple. Because when you meet and encounter the Lord, then the glory of the Lord falls on your life. That's the lesson that the Lord wants us to get from this. And it's on every page of the Bible. You keep looking at this and unpacking it, and and you'll see that, that, that as we understand the New Testament, it sheds light on the Old Testament. This is our relationship with the Lord being um, projected out into the future. And, and symbolically, we see it happening as God is communicating. Listen, man, I'm going to fall on your life. Because what does Paul say The apostle Paul says to us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so whenever I come to that place in my life where I receive Christ and I'm indwelt with the Spirit, the glory of God falls upon my life. And so that's the covenant that I'm living in. It's that God lives in me. Just like Jesus walked into the temple, Jesus walked into Jimmy. And so now he is Lord and Savior of my life. And so what I'm working on is that very temple right there, just like these people were working on this physical temple when God's presence was interacting with humanity different than it does after uh, the, uh, the, the Messiah shows up and Christ comes and he rises from the dead. And the day of Pentecost, he sends back the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit falls upon humanity and they come out and they begin speaking in tongues and they have, what, cloven uh, tongues of fire above their heads to indicate that I'm taking the Shekinah glory of God, the physical glory of God when Jesus walked into the temple and declared war on religion, and I'm taking the uh, spiritual uh, glory of God that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work in unison, and now they fall upon a human being, and he becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus walks into us. And so as we live our lives, and as you walk through life and you have your job and you have your, your, your kids that you're raising and you, you have the, your hobbies that you like to do, like, man, there's, there's all of these things. And the Lord says to us that he wants to be engaged in those things. He wants to do those things with us. He doesn't want us to do those things and then come in on Sunday and pay a little homage to him. He wants us to, he wants us to walk in those things and realize that he is walking in those things. And so he's saying, and, and we'll see here in a moment, is that, that he, he, he will provide in that. And so like this week, man, it's November, and me and Jesus are going hunting, all right? And he wants to walk in that. I don't like take my faith in Christ off when I'm out doing that and, and, and enjoying my hobby. I don't quit um, walking with Jesus and then wait till I get back and put my pastor hat on and say, now it's time to tell the people about Jesus. No, I never, like he's in me. And so everywhere I go, everything I do, he is in me. He has walked into my life. Now, now here, this becomes really, really important because watch what happens when we see that we are in the temple and we see that this, this provision piece starts to happen. And, okay, so he says, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year, which is basically around the same time, a few days later, 
It says, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. And this is verse 19. He says, ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? So he says, like, if someone's carrying that and they have it in the fold of their garment, and it's a consecrated thing, he says, when they carry it in there, does it become uh, consecrated? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai says, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? And yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Okay, so he's, he's talking to them about the way they had been living. He says, now give careful thought. And he says this several times in, in two chapters. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. You, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, okay, so he's saying, man, you guys weren't following me. And I want you to really think about this. And so he's, 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 he would say the same to, to us. He says, you're not walking in the power of the covenant. And I want you to give careful thought to that. And so then he says, from this day on, in verse 18, this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn until now? Or uh, in the barn. Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Okay? So what is he saying here? When you, he's, here's what the Lord is saying to us. First of all, he's saying that when it comes to holiness, remember he was talking about if, you, if, if a person carries something consecrated, are they able to pass that consecration on, that holiness? The priest says no. He says, so what, what he's saying is that, that a human being in their power, no, even if they're walking according to, to the law at that time, they can't make something consecrated. He says, well, if... They touch a dead body, which they would become unclean for a while, so they had to have a period of cleansing that would happen under the Jewish law. Then they would be ready to go back in and, and, and be purified and be able to continue in uh, the fellowship that all the law prescribed. But he says, if they become defiled and they touch something, does that thing become defiled? Yes, it does. So what does he say? He says, well, as human beings, we cannot pass, uh, pass on the holiness of God, but we can pass on our sin. Okay, we know that. Like, you can't pass the holiness of God. You can't make your children love God, but you can make them not love God. That's basically what he's saying. You can defile things by touching them, but you can't make things holy. And so what is the takeaway in that? He's saying, when you live for me, I will provide for you. But if you don't live for me, I won't provide for you. 
Because he goes on to all the illustrations. He says, think about this. When you went and you thought you were going to be able to draw this much wine, there wasn't that enough in there for, for you to do what you had intended. When you thought you were going to get this much grain, there just wasn't enough in there to make the meal. But he says, I want you to think about the day, the day that you decided to sur for fully surrender to me and walk in the power of the covenant. He's saying, from this day forward, I will provide for you. Now, this is glorious because what the Lord is saying is that even whenever it feels like nothing is happening, he's saying to us, I got this. You be strong. Be strong. Be strong and keep on believing because I am with you. I am in you. And you are working on the temple that I care about. And as long as you work on that temple that I care about, I will take care of you. And this is why when we look at so many different things and the, the covenant, it's, it's a part of the covenant. The covenant of God in which he cannot deny. That's why he says, Jesus in one of the famous uh, teachings that he says, what? And this is what Haggai is about. Seek ye first the kingdom of Christ, and all these things shall be added unto you. He doesn't say seek first your kingdom and pray that God would add some more things to it and honor him on Sundays. That's not what he says. He says seek him first. Seek his kingdom first. Uno, number one. The primary um, priority in your life, that it comes before everything else. Everything in your life, the, like everything, you seek the kingdom first, and he will provide for you. They asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. His disciples, Peter, James, and John, I'm encouraged that they asked this question. The other guys were with him. Teach us how to pray. And what he says, when, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven. You're up there, we're down here. He says, your will be done on, in heaven as it is on earth. And then they, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Thy kingdom come, he's saying in the first part, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Then give us this bread. So when I recognize that my father who is in heaven and I seek him first. So Jesus, let me tell you this. Jesus is not saying recite the Lord's prayer. Okay. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, when you pray, pray like this. Pray, Lord, I'm focused on your kingdom. And I'm focused on your kingdom right here and right here and right here. And I need provision. If you really want me to do that and bring your kingdom from heaven to earth, then I need you to provide for me so that I can do that. And the, the promise of the covenant is that he will do that. And so when we step out and we're be strong, be strong, be strong, and we step out in faith and obedience to something, and we believe that God has asked us to do that, and we step into it, guess what the promise is? I got this. Even when it feels like he doesn't. Even when it feels like he's not moving. Even when it feels like nothing's happening. The Lord is bound by the covenant and he's told us, I will not deny myself. You just be strong in the midst of this. Keep being strong. Keep believing because I'm going to come through and I'm going to pour my blessing out upon you. And so when, what we take away from that is when I produce, he provides. And a lot of us are wanting him to provide when we don't produce. And all that equals is a bunch of rotten fruit that is useless for nothing but to throw away. And so the Lord is saying, man, get in there and produce, and I will provide for you. Now, here, here, here's, here's the next one. All right, man, we're doing good today, amen? Y'all tracking with me? All right, I can't tell sometimes. Sometimes I, I can't tell if you guys just wish I would quit, or if I'm talking so fast, you're like, Whoa! And you're just trying to take it all in. So I'm encouraged that you're with me. Verse 20. 
the word of the, I love this, this is so cool. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Here's the last takeaway. The Lord says to us when we live this way, I will take you and make you, okay? And so here's the deal, is when we come to this place where we recognize that um, that our, our relationship with Christ is tied to him adopting us into the kingdom and opening the kingdom up to us, and he adopts us, and we receive the kingdom, and we enter into a covenant with him. So when we enter into that covenant and we truly understand the covenant, we no longer are living with attitudes of, go, oh boy, I got to, man, I got to obey the Lord. I, like the Lord said not do this and don't do that. And so we no longer feel like the Lord is playing whack-a-mole with us. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. We start to recognize that what is happening is I want to obey the Lord. Because now I'm recognizing, men, I, I, I am a child of the Lord and he lives in me. And the covenant comes with promises. And I want to surrender in obedience to the Lord to what he's asked me to do. And when I do that, I thereby will bring glory back to God. And so more glory can fall on my life. We call this in discipleship the identity triangle. And it's when we recognize the covenant of God. We don't try to please God and find our identity by the things that we do. And so what, what does that look like? That means that, that you're, you're trying to be a good Christian by going to church, and you're trying to be a good Christian by giving offerings, and you're trying to be a good Christian by um, serving in the nursery, by the way, that just started, so you might want to be a good Christian. No, I mean, and so you, you, you start trying to do these things. You're like, man, I, I got to do these things. I got to do these things, and you feel guilty if you don't. And so what happens is you start to get your identity with God the Father through the performance of what you're doing, and that's works righteousness. It's self-righteousness, and that's the very thing that Jesus walked into Zerubbabel's temple and declared war on that kind of religion. He says that never works. He says, what has to happen is you have to recognize that you are mine, that I adopted you into the kingdom. And you have to understand that uh, you belong to me. And, and because you belong to me, when you start to focus on who you are and the promises of the covenant, then it will shift your thinking. Instead of trying to please me, you will realize you are pleasing to me, and you will want to walk in obedience, and you will want to honor me with giving. You will want to honor me with faithfulness. You will want to honor me with service. You will want to serve in the nursery. Amen? Amen. Amen. Like you will want to do these things. And as you walk in that, man, then you start to understand your identity. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm not going to go there. You could study it for yourself. Along about 11 through, verses 11 through 13, Paul tells us that we are chosen, we are marked, and we are sealed. Okay? 
So what does, what does Haggai, the word of God that comes through Haggai, say to Zerubbabel? Well, Zerubbabel was terrified because he now he has this movement and this land, these people making false accusations against him, sending letters back to the king that they're going to rebel. This, this history has a nation of, of rebelling, and, and, and so they're, they're falsely making false accusations against him. He's worried about invading enemies. He doesn't have an army, and he's working on a temple when he probably feels like he should be working on walls, which is later to come through Nehemiah. And so he's afraid. And the Lord says to him, Zerubbabel, I got this. And he says, I am going to give you, like you were like a, 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 my signet ring, which was the seal of a king that you could, you could go through kingdoms. And if, you're, if you had paper that was sealed with the signet ring of the king, then it would get, grant you access into all of these other things and the protection of the king's army. And so what he's saying to him is that um, I have you, Zerubbabel. And so whenever we read in Ephesians that we are chosen, we are marked, we are sealed, it's the same thing that is being said to Zerubbabel as the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is saying to us, I put you on my finger like a ring and look at you every day. And I'm going to give you all the authority and the power you need to do exactly what I've asked you to do. And so that's when we recognize the covenant then what happens is our citizenship and we start doing the things that God asks us to do and we do them in power. So when we preach a sermon, we don't preach a sermon according to our giftedness and our ability and our, our deep study alone. We preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit because we're walking in the covenant of promise and the authority and the power of God has fallen on our lives. And so therefore, the Spirit shows up to penetrate the hearts of the people. And that's why some of you, when you walk out, you say things like, man, I just feel like you're reading my mail. I have no idea what's going on in your life. That is the power and the authority of the Spirit falling through the gift and foolishness of preaching and a person walking in proper identity. It has nothing to do with giftedness by me. It has everything to do with the soaking the word in prayer, receiving a word from heaven, and communicating it to the people of God so that they can hear what the Lord is asking them to step into in obedience. And so that is the provision. Is He says, I will take you and I will make you. And so because of our identity, we have authority because he wears us on his ring, on his finger, figuratively speaking, as a ring, and he is reminded, and he's trying to remind us, not that he needs to be reminded, that we are his. Like, we are his. So you may be all, like, jacked up over this election. You're his. You'll always be his. And you need to be reminded of that. And things like this election shouldn't stir you up too bad because you are his. And it doesn't matter what happens in the economy. It doesn't matter what happens in your health. It doesn't matter what happens in your life, period. You are his. You are like a ring on his finger. You have entered into covenant with him. You belong to him. And he's saying to you, you are mine. There's no need to be anxious for anything. But in prayer, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to me. Okay, so here's the big idea. Last week it was uh, be stirred up, right? Let the Lord stir you up. In the honor of uh, Sean Connery passing, the original, like one of the coolest James Bonds for sure, right? <laughs> I think, I think his line was, okay, uh, when he would order a drink as a martini, 
And he would say, shaken, not stirred, right? Isn't that right? Isn't that bond? Okay. Well, here's the deal is I'm not trying to encourage you to go order a martini, all right? But I would say to you, stirred and shaken, okay? When you let me stir you, I will shake up everything around you. When you begin to let the Lord stir you, that's where I'm talking about this surrender piece, man. When you come to a place, you go, man, I want to fully surrender to the Lord. I just want to fully surrender. I want to believe the promises of the covenant, and I'm going to walk in obedience to that because he loves me. I'm a child of his. Then the authority and the power of God falls upon your life, and so you continually stay stirred up by being in the word and talking to him constantly, and then he starts to shake up things around you. It may take some time, but he will start to shake up things in your marriage, and he will start to shake up relationships around you, and and people will start to recognize, man, you're walking with the Lord, and in a different way and they too will get shaken and some of them will come into the kingdom and some of them will walk right out of your life and he says be strong be strong be strong I'm with you you're working on my temple now to close this what I want you to see is you're building the house of God okay now, corporately, the church locally in this fellowship that we call OPCC, we come together and we celebrate how we're building the house of God. And so the house of God is, this is one house of God. Shea is a house of God. Michael is a house of God. Jonah is a house of God. Like you're a house of God. And so we come together and why do we express our, our, our thanksgiving and praise and worship? Because we're all houses of God coming together in one local fellowship and breaking forth in praise to the Lord as little temples of the Holy Spirit. And the glory of God is in this place and he moves. And so when we go back to Haggai chapter one, when he tells them, he says, I want you to recognize guys how you're living. He said, give careful thought to this. Like you're doing all this work, you're working on your house, but you have a purse that has holes in it. There's no food in the pantry and, and the locusts and stuff keep eating up all your grain. There's pestilence everywhere and it seems like you can never get ahead. He says, give careful thought of that. Then he says, give careful thought to what I'm about to say. And he says this, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Now, so I'm giving you a lot of discipleship today. We, we have another thing we call up, in, and out. You go up the mountain, and then you go in with each other. And so it's fascinating to me that when he says to work on the temple, you got to get up the mountain, man, and bring down some timber. Lord, whatever your king, that your kingdom in heaven will be brought to earth. When you pray, pray like this, Jesus said. Go up the mountain, get with the king, and bring down some timber. Okay? So we're constantly working on this timber thing. Now, it seems like sometimes that nothing's happening. But the Lord would say to us, just wait. Just wait. Now, sometimes I look and I, I find myself, the devil tempts me a little bit, and I find myself going, man, I wonder if, if I could just... If I would have been on a different path, how much money could I have made? You know? I see, uh, sometimes I wonder, and I see people who are famous and all the wealth that they have, and you, you go, man, I wonder what's, what it's like to be a billionaire. You guys ever think about that? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, if, you know, I think as humans we do. But then I have to be reminded, man, what has happened for me is early in life, I figured out the greatest truth in life. That there's not enough money on the planet that can do for my heart what the Lord has already done. And, and the scripture says, the scripture says is that this, this thing called life that happens within this span of time, physical life, is that we are eternal beings. And so we have a birthday and we have a death day and it has been ordained by God and there is a time coming when we will pass from this life to the next. And we will be judged, first of all, with what, what we believed about Jesus. It's called the great white throne judgment. And so in that judgment, the Lord will look at us and he will say, man, do you know my son? As a matter of fact, he will either be able to look at us or he won't look at us. Either his glory will continue to fall on us or his wrath will fall on us at that time based upon whether or not our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. The second judgment is when we sit before the great bema seat of Christ and we are judged according to our lives and how we live them. And it's not a judgment for all people. It is only a judgment of the believer. And the scripture clearly teaches that we will be rewarded based upon the way that we lived. And so sometimes when we get a little bit discouraged and we look at other people and it seems like that they're doing so well, sometimes we have to be reminded that the glory of this house is going to be greater. Uh, the, the glory of the house that you're working on now is going to be greater than the glory of the house that was before. And we have to get a vision of going, man, I belong to the Lord. And this kingdom thing is so much bigger than, than I can even comprehend in my, my own mind. Paul says, no, I have seen or, or, or man been able to comprehend what God has prepared for the people who love him. Okay? And so what you're doing right now is you're doing the same thing David did. You're gathering the material for the house. And, 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 and you're working on the temple here on, in time to prepare for all that's going to happen through eternity. And so I asked Sean to do this song. It's an old song. It's a really cool song. You probably, you may have heard it. Um, most likely not. But what I want you to do, like all I want you to do today is be encouraged. Okay, I want you to be encouraged in the Lord. I want you to listen to the words of this song. And I want you to uh, walk out of this place with a mindset that I'm going to be strong, man. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be strong. And I'm going to continue to work on the house of the Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.